What you are about to listen to is a work of imagination, but not fantasy, set in the year 2050. At a national park in Sarawak, Malaysia, environmental scientist Danilo Manolo rides a small boat equipped with a roof of solar panels through a mangrove forest. He's alongside eight colleagues and five local authorities and guides. I'm surrounded by a dense web of tangled roots rising above either side of this narrow waterway. Tall, thin trees weave up toward the sky into a canopy of green leaves. This area was saved from a coastal development project that could have obliterated this entire ecosystem. But the area is still under threat. We're investigating illegal logging in the area. In this episode, we'll be exploring the importance of adaptation and resilience to combat climate change in Southeast Asia. The region is a leader in protecting biodiversity and using nature to help heal the damage caused by climate change. We look at what it's like to live in this incredibly diverse region today and how people work, live and eat in harmony with the natural environment. I'm your host, Mutinta Banda, and you're listening to Climate Vision 2050. system for flooding events was introduced in 2028 in Thailand. In 2036, new overfishing regulations were introduced to protect endangered species in Indonesia. Southeast Asia's first floating community that rises and falls with the tides opened in 2046. Danilo arrives at an area of dense mangroves with a small beach. Our guide says we're clear of crocodiles, but you never know. These here are red mangroves. They get their name from their bright red bark. The roots look like a spider legs. They're known for their ability to tolerate harsh conditions, such as uh, changes in water levels and the salinity. This device measures the diameter, height, and wood density to assess how these were impacted in the recent storms. Three millimeter growth in this root. Less canopy cover here. I sustain damage on this one. There used to be a large mangrove forest, just like this one, near where I grew up in the Philippines. I used to play hide and seek among the tangled roots. One day. Mangroves were cut down to put in a shrimp farm. Over the years, as the sea rose, floods and the storms increased. Our community eventually lost our homes and we had to move further inland. Today, I research, restore and protect mangrove ecosystems alongside this team from all over Southeast Asia. The loggers, 
they're close by. We'll try to sneak up and apprehend them. Today in 2050, Southeast Asia is considered a world leader in the ways that the region has prioritized environmental preservation. There are a wealth of natural resources here, thanks to conservation efforts. Lavinia Rama Iyer is a development planner at WWF Malaysia. Her job entails thinking carefully about how to ensure that any development that takes place in Malaysia protects rather than harms the natural environment. Restoring nature's functionality has enabled us to better cope locally with the impacts of climate change. And even as the world over, we have faced greater unpredictability with temperatures, water access, food security due to climate change. Malaysia's investment in keeping at least 50% of our land mass under forest cover and also designating 30% of our land and marine areas as protected areas, really all these actions have really borne immense dividends. Today, Malaysia is known for its natural assets. They are a key strength that has been harnessed in the fight against climate change. We started looking at a different relationship of the economy with the environment. The thinking previously was, you know, if you want to grow the economy, something has to give and that would be the environment. If you want to protect the environment, then something has to give and that would be the economy. So we evolved from that kind of thinking to something that was more holistic in understanding that actually nature, the environment, really provides the fundamental basis of everything that we rely on as a society to thrive. With more than 25,000 islands and a billion people, the path for Southeast Asia to reach their climate and sustainability goals for 2050 was not easy. Dave Sivaprasad is a managing director and partner at BCG, who leads the company's climate and sustainability work in Southeast Asia. He's part of the Global Adaptation and Resilience team. So sitting in 2050 and looking back over the last 30 years, the region had two big challenges to manage. One was to rapidly decarbonize their economies. The second big challenge was the region already in the 2020s were feeling the physical impacts of climate change, such as increasing sea levels, rising storms, extreme heat, issues that were impacting lives, livelihoods, food systems, water, healthcare, and so on. So the region had to build resilience against these physical impacts. Southeast Asia leaned heavily into what's known as nature-based solutions. These are solutions to climate challenges that embrace the sustainable use and management of natural features, such as mangroves. There are cities and settlements that are spread across the coast that face sea level rise impact, they face increased storms and storm surges, increased flooding. And mangroves are a natural defense to some of these physical impacts. The mangroves act as an interface between the land and sea, where freshwater and saline waters mix. The trees have deep roots that help to secure the soil and prevent erosion. The nutrient-rich soils provide habitats to fish and other wildlife. They act as a natural barrier to erosion. These mangrove ecosystems act as a natural buffer to uh, provide protection to these regions. 
Climate change has severely impacted water systems in Southeast Asia, and the effects have been felt deeply by people who live here. Floods have become increasingly frequent, increasingly unpredictable, increasingly intense. We saw rainfall patterns change. Certain times we had lots of water, and at other times there was no water at all. So those, the impacts that we were facing were very much related to managing water. So there were times when businesses and individuals had to go for not just days, but sometimes weeks and months without water in their taps. Back at the National Park, Danilo and his team arrived by boat at an area where approximately 20 mangrove trees have been cut down. We were too late. We need to uh, pick up the debris and uh, clear the area to assess the extent of the damage. Uh, these trees may have been cut down for firewood or charcoal or perhaps to be used as timber for construction. We bought a variety of seedlings called propagules with us in case we needed to do any restoration work. These seedlings contain a small root structure and a few budding leaves. It will likely take about two years for them to grow, if we're lucky. Sometimes, these areas have been too badly damaged and can't recover. Or they, they wash away before they can take a hold. Those loggers will pay for what they've done. We might still be able to catch them before they leave the park. Protests from conservationists halted a 2026 development near a protected mangrove forest. Builders are using more renewable resources in 2035 in Southeast Asia. Malayan tiger populations have increased in 2040 thanks to conservation efforts. Today in 2050, coastal ecosystems in Southeast Asia are monitored closely and strict laws protect the various species and their habitats. Despite this, problems arise as increased carbon dioxide concentrations in the air are absorbed by water systems. This impacts marine ecosystems in multiple ways. One of the impacts is increasing acidity in oceans and seas. Increasing acidity impacts marine environments and ecosystems that are very sensitive to pH value of the environment. So this can impact various species and this can have knock-on effects to food chains and the broader ecosystem that if left unchecked can be catastrophic. Rising acidity levels in the ocean are especially damaging to coral reefs, which are important habitats for many species. And it's not just acidification, it's also rising temperatures in the oceans and seas that damage coral reefs, cause coral reef bleaching, and these irreversible impacts if they're not managed. Coral reefs also blunt the destructive powers of floods and storm surges. 
Southeast Asia has also worked hard to protect biodiversity inland, far away from the ocean. One important project for the region is the Heart of Borneo Initiative, which protects a forested area the size of Utah on the island of Borneo for perpetuity. The forests there serve as an amazing source of carbon capture, as well as providing a protected habitat for many species, such as proboscis monkeys, bears, leopards, elephants, and orangutans. In other parts of Southeast Asia, including in Peninsular Malaysia, tiger populations were at critically endangered levels. Just 30 years ago, these very same tigers were at the brink of extinction with less than about 150 in the wild. So effort was really taken to seriously protect the tigers and their habitats. And from that, we ourselves have also benefited hugely when it comes to adapting and living with the climatic changes that we are facing. The protection of biodiversity has had a knock-on effect for the economy. As today in 2050, Southeast Asia has a thriving ecotourism industry. Southeast Asia is home to some of the most diverse natural environments in the world. And pretty early on through this journey of transition, the region recognized the value of these natural assets. And they, there were multiple benefits to preserve these ecosystems. This also benefited the local economy in terms of uh, ecotourism, where people from all around the world came to Southeast Asia to uh, experience and see some of these remarkable, rich and unique ecosystems the region had to offer. There were new jobs that were created to support the tourism industry, and there were new jobs created to protect, preserve and help manage these protected environments. Fishing has long been a source of livelihoods and food in Southeast Asia. Today in 2050, new measures are being taken to ensure that fishing is sustainable. So today we see our communities living harmoniously and in sync with nature. For example, fishermen have relearned the ways of their ancestors and managed the fish resources and fish stocks sustainably, allowing for no fish times where nobody goes out to fish as a community. They respect each other's agreement to not do that. At that time, the fish stock can actually replenish. This is all part of what is known as a blue economy strategy for Malaysia. Making sure that the waters and coastlines are protected while creating sustainable jobs for the communities that live there. Back at the National Park in Malaysia, Danilo launches a drone from his boat. I'm going to ascend this drone up to see if I can get an eye on where the loggers made off to. Hmm. Hmm. I can see a few boats off the coast and... Uh, oh, looks like there is a small cruise ship with some tourists. This park offers a variety of activities for visitors, and including nature walks, bird-watching tours, river cruises, etc. Oh. Huh. It also looks like there are a few fishing boats. Oh. I can't see any mangroves on these boats. Hmm. Ah, maybe here. Oh, hi there. These are proboscis monkeys. 
Three of them. Pretty weird looking monkeys. They were endangered 30 years ago, but today they're all over the park. Okay, okay. Back to the screen. No. Maybe they blapped already. No. <gasps> Bingo! Hoi, hoi! I can see mangroves in the back of a small blue boat. Oh, okay, they're moving toward a park entrance. We'll have to hurry if we want to stop them before they leave the park. Alongside coastal adaptation and resilience and protecting biodiversity, day-to-day -day life in Southeast Asia has changed dramatically in recent decades. Agricultural production depends on a steady supply of water. We also started seeing changes in our ability to cultivate rice, for example, or other agricultural crops, because rice is very dependent on water and, you know, it's timed in a way to, you know, the planting cycles to match when the rains come. So we started facing food security issues as well, going back to adopting traditional practices in terms of mixed cropping so that we didn't rely on just one thing. That was the insurance that we took to protect ourselves in terms of food security, going back to that kind of approaches, farming with different crops that support each other. The agricultural sector was disproportionately hit by job losses, as many in the region whose livelihoods had depended on the stability of the growing seasons were unable to continue to produce food. Many of those who left the agricultural sector have found work as part of the green growth in the region in areas such as ecotourism. Climate change has also forced changes in the housing stock in Southeast Asia. You know, in terms of looking at our homes, you'll see that the homes we build today are very resilient, right, to the impacts to floods and storm surges. Because what we did was previously we used to build these huge concrete blocks, but we found that those were not very resilient. So we went back to traditional approaches of building homes on stilts, which also provided natural sunlight and ventilation in, as part of the design. Building homes on stilts allows for water from coastal tides, floods and storm surges to be swept underneath accommodations. Another interesting innovation has also been the use of different materials. Cement and concrete is a large contributor to greenhouse gases. It's a hard to abate sector, the cement sector. And what we've seen in Southeast Asia is the increased application of different building materials that don't use cement and concrete that have been successful in, in various parts, including the innovative use of timber and natural materials in building. Some experiments have even been happening with floating communities off the coasts of Southeast Asia. Some of the most interesting coastal living environments that have come up over the last 30 years have probably been these coastal, these floating communities where literally they are all connected up almost like pontoons to houses and they're floating on the sea. So with rising sea level and rising tides, they go up and down and uh, they're almost accommodating to these changes. And this has taken great innovation in terms of not just the engineering behind how it's done, but also people's ability and to adapt and live in these new environments which didn't exist 30 years ago. 
Every area in Southeast Asia requires a different type of solution as part of their adaptation and resilience to climate change. No two communities were exactly the same in the way they approached these challenges. This meant sometimes when all other options were no longer possible, seawalls had to be built. On the specific um, response of building seawalls, they are certainly a, a form of protection, but where you can avoid building more infrastructure that is costly, requires concrete, you know, that contributes to more emissions versus where you can build resilience with nature-based solutions. You would want to gravitate towards the nature-based solution because, you know, it has all the multiple benefits that they have. But what we've seen in Southeast Asia, we're in 2050 looking back, nature-based solutions can't work in every coastal region. Some coastal regions have had to have seawalls built to protect the communities and others found that relocating or moving has been a better option for them. Back at the National Park, Danilo and his team stalk an entranceway with a small road behind some bushes. I can see them now, in the distance. They're moving on shore, getting out of the boat. They're moving the mangroves. Okay, okay. It's time now. Okay? Three. And two. One. Hey, you! Anoginagoambo! What are you doing with those mangroves, huh? You better leave those there. Stop! Stop what you're doing! Wait, go get him! Go get him! He's getting away! He's getting away! Hurry, hurry! The authorities rush towards the loggers and apprehend them. Yes! Yes, we did it! We did it! <laughs> oh, thank God, thank God. New building code regulations were rolled out in 2028 in the Philippines to help protect against climatic events. Some communities in Southeast Asia have been moving farther inland in 2037, away from flooded coastal areas. Ecotourism is booming in Southeast Asia in 2045 as people flock to see the rich biodiversity the region is known for preserving. Today in 2050, Southeast Asia is a leader in climate adaptation and resilience. Now we're in 2050, the region has been extremely successful in protecting its natural ecosystems, its forests, its marine environments, its coastal wetlands. It has been successful in transforming local economies from high carbon economies to low carbon green economies. Countries across Southeast Asia are very diverse, both physically diverse, e economically, and socially diverse. And we've seen uh, fantastic innovation from the ground up in almost every part of Southeast Asia. And we have certainly seen a lot more collaborative action between countries in the region to adapt and build resilience against the, the impacts of climate change. Mangroves, lush forests, birds, fish, mammals, and other wildlife all help to make Southeast Asia an incredible place to live and visit in 2050. The preservation of these areas all started with thinking differently about how we develop sustainably, embrace green growth, and enhance the blue economy of the region. 
But our work isn't over. There is still more that needs to be done to safeguard Southeast Asia for generations to come. And we don't have all the answers yet. We approach it with all stakeholders coming together and bringing that wisdom from different perspectives together so that we can really build something that can address these problems. No one person, no one approach can tackle this. And we so sort of continuously need to build that strong stakeholder engagement as one of the key components of moving forward. You've been listening to Climate Vision 2050, a podcast from BCG that explores how the world radically reduced carbon emissions and saved itself from climate catastrophe. Our narrator, Mutinda Banda, is played by Atibo Onan. Environmental scientist Danilo Manalo is played by RJ Navarra Balde II. You heard from Dave Sivaprasad, BCG Managing Director and Partner, who leads BCG's climate and sustainability work in Southeast Asia, as well as Lavanya Rama Ayer, Head of Policy and Climate Change at WWF Malaysia, imagining herself as a development planner at WWF Malaysia in 2050. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Lower Street, a full-service podcast production agency that creates amazing shows for brands that want great, not good. BCG is a global consulting firm committed to climate and sustainability action. We understand there are many possible futures, and we hope you enjoy our journey through some of them in this series. Learn more about our work on climate and sustainability at bcg.com climate.